Well, thank you, Paul and Leslie. Good to see you all here today. Trust you've had a great week. Apparently not. Is that a question? <laughs> well, you certainly didn't answer it. <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about it. At any rate. Yes. But it, no. <laughs> Very good. West lifted about 1,400 of them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> He's exhausted. Yeah. There's always a lot going on in our world, isn't there? Um, last week, we were together talking about Christian liberty and all of the things that we have because we're in Christ. Um, previous to that, and that was kind of a, it fit the fact of Independence Day. The United States, for 245 years, has literally been blessed by God, enjoying freedoms that were paid for by men and women that gave their lives. And to think of Christian liberty or Christian freedom that was afforded us because of what Jesus Christ did. We think about that and literally the fact that we're here today gathered because Christ died. Because Christ rose again. That's why I'm here today. Because if he hadn't rose again, it would all be vanity. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything that gathers us together is literally because of what Jesus Christ accomplished when he said it was finished. And then for God the Father to show through the power that he himself and he alone rose Jesus from the dead. said, it's good, it's final, it's finished. Isn't that fantastic? And it allows us to look forward with confidence. And then previously to that, we talked about for a number of weeks, I've lost track, I'm sure you did, but if you just take your Bible and you just, just throw it, it falls open to Ephesians chapter 6, right? <laughs> well, we're going to change that to a new place, potentially, because as you put on the whole armor of God, there's something that has happened to you this week. Everyone in this room, everyone hears my voice. Every single day, there's things that go on in our lives, and they're called trials, and they happen to us. If you become a Christian to get an easy life, to get away from it, I am so sorry to tell you <laughs> that is not the deal. And if somebody tells you that, you can tell them with a great deal of confidence, you are a liar. <laughs> because that's the way it is. As someone has said, God only had one son that was sinless. But every son has suffered. Suffering, tribulation, trials, that comes. That's unanimous. We are in that. The difference between a believer and unbeliever is the fact that we have a forward plan. An unbeliever today, someone that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, quite honestly, has no way to think forward. There's nothing to trust in. There is no hope. It's just that that they see for that moment. That's the difference for us in going through trials. But we'd like to take, I'm not sure how long, I don't know. It, it started yesterday. I was speaking with a friend on the phone. I don't know how we got there. But what popped in my mind was uh, Genesis chapter 22. And I said, you know, just thinking about a challenge or a trial that would be, I think it's probably the greatest trial that I can think of in the Bible. And, and Job went through a lot of stuff, right? But nowhere else was anyone ever asked, as Abraham was, to sacrifice his son. 
And his answer is exactly the answer that I want to... That's how I got to James chapter 1. We're going to go there in a moment. But the fact that when his son Isaac and him were traipsing up this mountain, and the wood was on Isaac's back, it was a three-day journey, and they're walking up the hill, and his son, who's probably a teenager... The really cool part was, you know, this was something to worship God. must have been a frequent occurrence. It wasn't like, Dad, what are we doing? What, what's this for? No, it wasn't like that, was it? He asked a question which was really, really cool because he's taking, we're walking up the mountain and it's just the two of them. This is a private worship experience and encounter. He says, Dad, we got the wood, which <laughs> I've really got the wood. Because instead he laid it on his back, he was packing it up the hill. And he said, we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Now, I'm thinking about that as a father. Just put your humanness on for a second. How do you answer that question? Brilliantly by Abraham, he said, the Lord will provide. That is fantastic. That's where my mind was yesterday. That was what I wanted. I said, that, that's the deal. God will provide. But it's not just that situation. Literally, as we go through the armor of God, who provides that? God does. The struggles, the trials, the overall just, oh, it's too much for me. You know who provides the things that we're going to be talking about, enduring trials? God does. So we want to take a study. I don't know if it's two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. Let's just go where God wants us to go, which is where we want to be, right? That's been my prayer through this. Thank you for praying of where we're supposed to go next. That's a big struggle for me. God, where do you want us to go? You've got so much stuff. Where do you want us? But I think for right now, he wants us in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll read the first 12 verses. It, oh, by the way, who's James? He would, yeah, he would have had about as much fun growing up as anyone because it was never Jesus' fault, ever. Ever! <laughs> he was mom's favorite. James grew up actually probably not liking Jesus very much. In fact, it tells us that his family members were not at all thrilled with him. But this is the James that after seeing Jesus... In fact, let's go to... I hope I can find it. Just thought of it right now. This is interesting. I'm going to see if I'm there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what came to my mind. It's interesting that... Uh, let's see. Let's see if I'm right. Yeah, look at this. Uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And you're saying, how did you get here? And we were just in James. I don't know, but we're going to go here for a moment. First, f- first Corinthians chapter 15. And this is all about the power of why we're here today. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Standing in that gospel, standing in good news, by which you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen, and there's, there's, there's evidence of this, that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep or are dead. Now watch verse 7. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. You know who that James is? 
Jesus' half-brother. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what James thought of Jesus beforehand, but when he knew, and his mother was at the cross of watching her son, Jesus Christ, die with nails in his feet and his hands and said, it is finished, and they put him in a tomb, and then to see that same Jesus, my brother, appear to me live, that would change my attitude as well. That's who wrote this book. James chapter 1. Let's go back there now. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with, risen with a burning heat, but it shall wither the grass, and flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations or trials. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today to worship, to praise your name. It's literally just as we're doing at this moment, and that is praying, aligning our will with yours. Father, we would ask that this would be an opportunity for you to abundantly bless us with wisdom and encouragement, using your word and the Holy Spirit that lives within us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The resonance would have never been stronger. We would pray, Father, that you'd lead us where you want us to be, and to the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher today. We pray for each one that is here today. Father, you've brought them on their life's journey here for a reason. We would ask that you would bless them and their families. Father, lift them up. May they feel your presence. Today in this room as we discuss the word that you'll use to go to the inner portions of our heart. Make us what you want us to be. May we be submissive to your will. Father, once again, we are thankful for the opportunity we have, leaning on you for these moments, trusting, obeying, looking for guidance. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That passage of Scripture, um, particularly the first, or verse 2, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into various temptations, or trials is a better word. The problem we have is we see the word joy, right? Oh, you guys are in denial. Okay, very good. So, so let me just play this last week for you then, given what, how you responded. So here comes trial number 482, which was on Tuesday evening for the week. Right? They come, don't they? You don't have to look for them. Here they come. They come in a phone call. They come in letters. They come person to person. They come through weather. 
They come, there's a, there's, right? It could be illnesses. It could be deaths. It could be financial loss. It could be, you name it, it comes. And you, upon getting the letter form, oh, well, I'm joyful. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> Why does it say that? Because there is a way to do that. We want to talk about, there's actually, through the course of this, which we'll not finish today, but at some point, Lord willing, we'll look at at least five ways to endure the trials. Now, we found, in fact, another way we could use is, let's read this first. It's interesting. What we're doing is twisting this backwards, and it's very interesting that James actually uses this as he explains to us how to deal with trials. In verse 3, it says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith, worketh patience, or another word we could use there is endurance. Patience or endurance. And I may use endurance more than patience. Um, How many of you prayed for patience this week? Boy, did you have trials. Right? That's how it comes. Trials come when you pray for patience. So it's easier to pray for endurance. Doesn't it sound better? Trials will come as well. But think of this. What I just said, as I said, let's, let's figure out how to endure the trials which produce endurance. Right? That's really a different way of looking at it. The two things that normally we just get, we almost like... I'm not going to say fearful, but the trials just break us into it. Oh, oh, right. And joy is not the first thing on your mind. We're going to have to be honest with one another. You're finally smiling. It was so stoic when I said, were you joyful? (laughs) Nobody wanted to say anything. Okay. But really, quite honestly, the first and foremost attitude that we must have in enduring trials is, in fact, a joyful attitude. and, And we'll be talking about this in a moment, but the one that sticks out to me as being the master of joy is Paul. He wrote a book about joy. It was called Philippians. And he was in an exquisite hotel, downtown jail. And you, and you think about his life and all of the things that transpired. And there was trials every single moment almost. But now for us to be able to turn around and look at Paul's life and we will see All of those details in his life of which he suffered, was persecuted, drove him to different places, under different jails, different scenarios that would have not been anything that he would have chosen to do. Literally changed the world for God. The household of Caesar. I mean, let's think about a plan. How would you you get Christ into the household of Caesar? That's all of his servants. I know how. Go ahead and get Paul, who's under house arrest, to be chained to them one at a time. That's called evangelization 101, one-on-one. And in fact, one of the letters is responding that way, that howdy from, that was my paraphrase, howdy from the, church, from the, uh, the household of Caesar. Why? Because they were Christ-filled. They, were, they had been born again because, Christ, or because Paul was there sharing the gospel. That's why in your struggles, in your trials... There's a whole lot of reasons, but one of them, particularly in Paul's life, God is using you to get to other people to learn about Jesus. People, uh, God uses people to get to people. I don't know why he does that. We're not particularly good at it, right? But that's what he does. Joy. 
Well, if we go to, sometimes you start, and it's almost like this letter of James is that way. You know, what do you mean? Count it all joy when I fall into various trials. James, that's verse 2. What are you trying to do to us? But let's go, to the, let's go to verse 12 for a second, because this is the end result. This is literally what the end of enduring a trial happens. It's a beatitude, if you will, thinking back to Matthew chapter 5. But verse 12, James chapter 1 says, Blessed, or happy, is the man that endureth, again, I'm going to use the word trials. Trial produces blessings. That's really what this is all about. It's a summation of everything that you know about trials. Trials produce blessings. Now, see, that's part of the reason that we can have a joyful attitude. Because you're forward thinking. I think about Jesus Christ. What has he done? He died for me. What is he doing? He's being an advocate for me. He's actually literally at the right hand of God today. And when we have a problem, when we have a challenge, when we've sinned, when we've done something, that is, he is advocating. He's our defense attorney. And you know what? The other thing for me to have forward thinking is to know where he is at and what he's preparing. Can you imagine how fantastic heaven really is? It took God seven, six days to create everything that we know about here, everything we see, all the visuals. In John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to go to a place and prepare it for you. He's been working on that for 2,000 years. Whoa, right? That's crazy. That's why we can think forward. That's why literally Paul could be joyous in the sense of living in a prison environment. Because there was, in fact, I think Paul was so full of joy, there wasn't anyone or anything that could destroy or take away his joy. Let me even say it this way. There's only one person that can steal your joy. That's you. The external trials that come into us, and we have internal or external, I'm not necessarily concerned about them, which one it is, but most of the time what happens, something happens to us externally. What is it? You know, a car blew up. Oh, my goodness, right? And it instantly goes internal. What do you do with that? Is it the attitude of Abraham? The Lord will provide. You see, if you know that, if you're, I'm actually getting to point two, but if you know that God is going to provide, something eases right away. God's in charge. That's like Abram, and we're going to go, and I'm going to use him a lot through this study because that, to me, is the most incredible test of all time to slay your son because God had asked you to do that. Would he obey? Would he argue? Would he have a discussion? Would he say, God, what are you thinking? This is, this is contrary to everything that you've said. You told me that this son that you gave me is how all of my descendants and I would have descendants as the sand of the seers, the stars of the sky. By the way, you know that both of those numbers are supposed to be pretty close to the same? Wow. And it's a lot. But you know what it says? It says that Abraham trusted God. What does that mean? God said it. He said that you were through the, your son Isaac, it would come. So it's up to God to perform it. No matter what, can God raise him from the dead? That's probably the first man that believed that God could raise someone from the dead. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, literally, that Abraham believed that he, God, would even raise Isaac from the dead if need be. If he did everything he said or that, he, that God had asked him to do, he knew that the results, the consequences, were in God's hands. That's where we need to get to. And when you're there, then you can have joy. Because it's not about the situation. See, and that's why, again, the difference, this is very key, but you see in verse 2, uh, James wants to be very careful to say, my brethren. Who's he talking to? 
This is, this is, a, love, this is a love letter to, to save people. If anyone that is unsaved, that does not know Christ personally, this is something that does not apply. You cannot have a joyous attitude in trials. Because that trial is all that you can see. But when you pick up your viewfinder, in fact, I just thought of this. Tell me another example, or think of an example, of where joy was really the literally the expression de- designed and developed and spoken of for something that was incredibly difficult at the time. And you're thinking, and you're thinking. Let's go to Hebrews while you're thinking. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I think of this, if uh, Jesus Christ, if there was any, ever anyone that should not have had to suffer trials, it would be he. And can you think of any more trials that one could, in 33 years, have? Whew. And you know what? It's all for us. But look at this. Just look at this. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 12. Ver- chapter 11 is the hall of faith. It, de- it describes for us those Old Testament saints that trusted God without even knowing about Jesus. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, because of chapter 11, seeing we also are encompassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Anything that's holding us back, let us run with patience or endurance. That's the same word, the race that is set before us. Isn't that interesting? Now look, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of her faith, who for the joy what? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That was joy? Well, I thought the night before he said, if this cup could be passed from me, I'd sure like to do that. He knew it was coming, didn't he? But he said, Not my will, but yours to the Father. And you know what he saw? He was forward thinking. He knew that as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of himself, that literally. All of the things that God had promised, and that was to reconcile what had been lost through sin. And you know what? That produced joy in Jesus to endure the cross. I mean, I have no idea what that pain would be like. I have no idea. By the way, I don't frankly want to know either. But to think that Jesus could count that as joy. Do you see what? Do you see? And that's the key to us. That example is probably as ripe and rich for us to grab low-hanging fruit of how to endure a trial as any I know of. You don't look at the trial. If he would have just focused on the crucifixion, oh my goodness, let alone joy, (laughs) he'd have probably run. In fact, you know what? His heart was heavy. He perspired drops of blood the night before. I can't imagine what that would be like. That's how heavy it was. And then to think, and he knew there would come that time where God the Father would have to literally separate himself from God the Son. For three hours, it was dark on this planet from noon to three. Now, that must have been freaky. That was probably why the Roman soldier, which wouldn't have known a thing about Jesus, said, Behold, the Son of God. So when we look beyond the trial, when we look beyond that situation, I didn't say it gets easy. Now, again, don't, don't read this. That I, Larry said it was easy. You just look to Jesus. No, no, it's not like that. Trials wouldn't be a trial if they were easy. But I want to make sure that you understand, it is not trouble-free when you accept Christ as Savior. In fact, if anything, the adversity, the attacks will come even more vehement. They come with vengeance. That's one of the things I say to someone that just accepts Christ as Savior. Initially, I say, now, 
Now, you need to be ready for an onslaught because Satan is not happy right now. He cannot steal your salvation. He cannot take what is yours because you are in Christ. He cannot take that, but he can come with a great deal of vengeance and adversity. But God will not... This is very... I'm really not following my notes. If you, no, you haven't noticed because you haven't seen my notes. Thank you very much, dear. That was yes. What notes, Larry? Right? Okay. Yeah, they're just for there. Right? They're just for there. But as you think about it, we, we get tangled up. We, you know, we really do. We get tangled up. Where did that trial come from? Was that, from, was that satanic oppression? Was that, was that from God? And you know what? I can show you. Remember that blind man? that the disciples asked Jesus about? Was he born blind because his parents sinned? Or because... And you know what Jesus answered? It was so God could be glorified. You mean God did that? See? Or it could be actually from sinful events ourselves or someone else that we're related to. You can, there can be suffering, there can be trials. So you have sin, Satan, and God. I mean, and you could, you know, I'm not concerned about that, quite honestly. They're going to come. How are we going to deal with them? What's the purpose? Now, again, you're going to recite to me because we already went to the end of the, end of the verse 12. And what? Trials produce blessings. Are you happy yet? Are you joyous? <laughs> Look at the smiles are coming out now. It's all good and better. How about tomorrow morning at when the first one comes? Oh, it's going to happen tonight, isn't it? That's what happened to me last week. Last week must have been a lot. It must have been really cool here because the spirit was working. And I went home and there was like, oh, my goodness. There was a little adversity. How do we deal with that? How do we endure that? That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Can we lift ourselves out of it? Can we get beyond what is in our face? Because if we are hit with what we have directly in front of us, then it takes us off our game. That's what Satan desires. Now, Job, think of him for a second. There's Job. Now, where did that adversity come from? This is a trick question. From more than one source. But God allowed it. And I can say this, there isn't anything that happens in your life that God does not allow because he's going to do something good with it. And again, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to Christians. If you're a non-Christian, if you've not trusted Christ as Savior, these words are not for you. You need to listen and pay attention because this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. There's a future or no hope. But to think of that for a moment, God can take any adversity. In this case, it was to prove. Now, Job would have probably liked to have been in on that conversation, right? Like, what if he would have been just listening to what Satan and God were talking about and knew in advance that he's going to have a rough couple of days? It would have been, a, it would have been different, wouldn't it? In fact, wouldn't sometimes if we knew, would it make a difference? But the key is, that's not what's important. So Satan is allowed to literally destroy everything that Job had. We're not talking about one funeral. We're talking about the entire family except for his wife, who turned out to be not such a great blessing later either. All of his stuff, camels, sheep. I don't know about the sheep deal. He's probably okay with that, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Cattle. 
Yeah, Lois, oh yeah, Lois isn't here to defend the sheep. But at any rate, all of that stuff, and it's just, boom, in one single 24-hour day, Job has nothing. And what does he respond as? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What do you think Satan did with that one? Well, he had a dream on that one for a little bit. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. That's just his stuff. Okay, you take a look. What, but if you, if you take him, I mean, if you really make his life miserable, you'll find out what he's made of. God said, go ahead. Now, here's the key. God knew what Job could handle. Let me say that one more time. God knew what Job could handle. We read the book of Job and we say, I could never do that. God knows that. Or Abram going up the mountain with his son Isaac. What if it would have been five years previous or ten years previous? He couldn't have handled it. See, this is what's really cool. Because Abram, he was talked to by God way back in the land where a land of paganism. And God said, Abram, I've picked you. I've picked, you're nothing special. You're no different. You're not sinless. It's not a, but I've asked you to obey me and go to a place I want you to go. And Abraham said, I'll get back to you on that one. No, he didn't. He packed up, obeyed, and moved. Do you know he would have not had an Isaac if he would not have obeyed God back in that foreign land? Do you see what I'm saying? Choices, decisions, and those... And how much of a trial would that be? Uh, Dad, this is Abraham. No, I don't look like him, but... Uh, Dad, uh, Tara, old buddy, old pal, I, I, I don't know how to say this. We've been here for generations, but God came to me last night and told me that I needed to follow him. Son, what are you, what, what are you saying here? You mean you're going to leave this place? That's what I said, Dad. Do, do you under, are you getting that? He left, and by the way, Tara followed along with him, for, and it wasn't necessarily good for, do you understand? Do you see? The trial started back then. Now, if Abram would have, would have been asked to, to, uh, to sacrifice his son, then you know what? He, no, he couldn't do that. This is important. I can't say this loud enough. Each and every one of you are on a, your own spiritual journey, and God knows exactly how much you can take. And he knows exactly how much he wants you to grow. He knows exactly that that works towards your maturity and your completeness and your wholeness. He never asks the same thing of every one of us because he knows who we are and he's perfecting us. In fact, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, just jot that down. That's, that's what's one for you. Philippians 1 6. He has started a work and he's going to continue to complete it, this maturing process. Trials are part of your maturing process. This is going to blow your mind. But you know, you remember if I talk about the Moabites? What comes to your mind? They were jerks. In fact, they did everything to destroy the Israelites. And every single passing moment, they wouldn't even let them go through there. They were, you know, they were, they were trying to kill God's people. They were evil, wicked people. This is, I, I, don't, I don't think you've ever seen, maybe, maybe you have. If you have, this, this blew my mind. You know, I'm just, why? Why are they like that? What did God do to them? What, why do they, every, I mean, every opportunity, they would take it out on the Israelites or God. They, just immorality. You, unbelievable. I want us to go to 
This was actually toward the end of it. I don't know what we're doing today. We're just having, I guess we're just having fun. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah 48. Okay, how come Jeremiah is being elusive? Come on. Thank you very much. I can't. Who said that? That would be a Jeff there. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much, Jeff. That's, that's just what I would have done. Exactly right. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 48. Your Bible's a little more robust. Mine's on page 1160. But at any rate, there we are. Um, now, we could, to, to build this whole thing about who the Moabites are, I'd have to do it through numbers of places. But suffice it to say, if you do a study on the Moabites, you will not find anything godly about them. They are really, really anti-God, anti-anything that has to do with morality or righteousness. That's just who they are. Okay? Now look at this for a second. We're going to just dive in. In Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11. Moab, are you there? Jeremiah 48, Moab hath been at ease from his youth. Yeah, chapter 48. Did I say that? Okay. Chapter 48, verse 11. Moab hath been at ease from his youth. What does that mean? They haven't any trouble. There's no troubles. There's no trials. What? Isn't that what we kind of want a life of? We want a life of ease? I'm going, to, I'm going to say this carefully, but it's true. Part of America's problem is we've had it too good for too long. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. In fact, Moab, their biggest problem was the fact that they had a life of ease. Can you believe that? Now, it goes on to say something. And I'm, not, I'm not a winemaker, so I don't know a lot about this, but I'm, I'm just fat, uh, on what I've studied. Let's continue. And it says in verse 11, He has settled on his lees. In other words, that would be wine that would been put in the first skin and just left undisturbed. Okay? Now, let's continue. Keeping on, it says, And hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent not changed. Now, that's for those that would have received that. I'll try to cut through this. But in winemaking, the one thing is you would pour it into the first skin, if you will. And then a long period of time goes by. And there's the bitterness and the sweetness. And it's called dregs or the bitterness that actually settles to the bottom. Okay. Then, and I don't know the length of time. I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about this. Okay? But that's what they're talking about. Then that vessel then would be taken to another one, leaving the dregs in the bottom, the separated part of the bitterness part. Now, did you see where it says they were never taken into captivity? They were at ease all the time. Nobody conquered them. It was fantastic. But you know what happens? Remember when the Israelites were captured from various times? You go through the book of Judges, and you know, whoa, what a life that was about every 40 years, right? But every time... What happened, and this is what happens to us in trials. This ties together. Trials produce dependence on God. Isn't that true? I remember in the deepest trials in my life, and they're still by their, I didn't, like they haven't ended, by the way. I didn't get, you don't, you don't get through trials. Oh, whew, I am 60 years old. No more trials for me. And you that are over that, what? Mine are, yes, and mine are too. They don't stop. They keep coming. But they produce maturity, 
they produce completeness. And in this case, the Moabites had been at ease for so long, they weren't, in other words, purified. You see, and I, let me finish my, the, the analogy that's here. And, and you, after a period of time, that wine then would be poured in, the dregs would be left behind. And again, probably go through three or four or maybe even five transfers, if you will, and when at the end, guess what? It's pure. Now, my head wraps around more in the sense of iron. I'm, I'm sorry, in, in metals. You have gold or you have silver, particularly. I'm thinking precious metals. Now, in this case, you heat it. You heat it to a molten stage till everything is melted. And guess what floats to the top? The impurities. And then that silversmith, he will skim the top off. And what you have left is pure silver or pure gold. The idea is it takes resistance. It takes adversity. It takes trials to either heat or to purify the things that need to be gotten rid of. And you know what happens each and every time that another trial comes and there's just a little bit more sculpting that takes place? You know what we look like from God's perspective? That last trial did Larry some good. He's starting to look a little bit more like Jesus. That's the goal. Because trials produce blessings. Blessings. That's how you can be joyous about, about trials is knowing that at the end it's for our good. God's glory and ultimately, you know, the worst thing that can happen, we end up in heaven. That's the worst thing that can happen. I mean, isn't that fantastic? You know, no matter what happens here, no matter what happens, the worst thing that could happen is we go to heaven. Not even gonna, I guess some nods, not getting an hallelujah or an amen or nothing, but I, I guess you just don't want to go now, right? That was like that little boy, that little boy in Sunday school, you know, they, I've told you this, but it always tickles me. A uh, room full of kids and the teacher's saying, how many want to go to heaven? You know, I could ask you, how many want to go to heaven? And most of you, I think, would raise your hand, right? Yeah, right? And, and unfortunately, Billy, uh, well, it seemed unfortunate, the teacher, everybody's hand just flies in the air except for Billy. And he's, he's right there. And Hmm, that bothered her a little bit. She says, well, well, class, let me ask one more time. How many of you want to go to heaven? And Billy just sits there. And she's, Billy, don't you want to go to heaven? He says, not now. (laughs) Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? But you know what? When we're focused on Jesus Christ, when we have a joyful attitude, Literally, that trial, because we're looking at with forward thoughts, can literally become us living a moment of heaven because God is using that moment to make us what he wants us to be ultimately. And that is to look just a little bit more like Jesus. Just a little bit more like Jesus. Now, the one thing that you will find... Uh, now, I don't know. I, I wish I, I can't. I was going to ask for one of the ladies. It's a little bit of a risk. Um, I was going to have a, a, a little container of water, okay? And this would be a test for the, for the man that you're married to if you're, if you're here as a wife or particularly if uh, in a young uh, group setting where there would be someone that maybe just got an engagement ring. Um, there's a way to test imitation diamonds versus the real diamond. Ooh, the, the gals are a little more attentive right now. And you can try this at home. 
<laughs> at, any rate, at any rate, uh, if you take a diamond and an imitation, and by the way, my eye would not be trained. I, I could not tell you the difference. I mean, it's amazing how I look at that and it's like 10 bucks, right, or whatever, and, and the diamond's the real price, right? I'm thinking, that doesn't actually look that bad, especially considering it's 10 bucks, right? Okay, but, it, but you want the real thing, don't you? Because this is kind of how faith is. See, you really want the real thing. And the only way you can tell the strength of your faith is a submersion in a trial. Because that's when it tells you if it's weak or if it's strong. And if it's weak, God knows us enough to know that he wants us to make it stronger. Isn't that cool? God knows just how to do that. But anyway, back to my little analogy, it fits perfectly, I think. Is if you took that diamond and you took that imitation, and, and let's say we just had one of each. And, and we look at them, and I don't know. Maybe, women, you know how to do that because you know your rocks. And I'm, I cannot tell. They say that if you stick them underwater, the diamond still is brilliantly colored. Or it, it reflects brilliantly. The imitation, dull and completely null. It's just, it, it's so obvious. And see, our faith is like that. If it's something we just talk about, if we have the right, the right answers, tell you what, one trial will show the strength or weakness of it. That's what's interesting, is trials will show us where we're at. Now, again, let's think back to Abram for a moment. Abraham. His son and him go up the hill. And I've, I've already said this, I get it, but let's, let's go to the end. And here we are at the very end. How many times do you think Abraham was talking to himself? How many times have I been an entrusted? You know, God's going to provide something really soon. Really, really soon. Because I don't have any more options. And here's Abraham, and now he's up at the top of the mountain, and he's got the wood out. Oh, okay. God didn't provide yet. Um, let's see, what do we do next? Okay, this is where we put the sacrifice on the wood. Isaac, old buddy, old pal, come over here a moment, um, and I'm going to tie you on. And, Dad, what are we doing here? Right? And God has not provided yet. Yet. Right? God, uh, are you, are you kind of watching here? We're moving closer to the right. And then literally, it says in the scriptures that Abraham raised his knife to slay his son. And then, <laughs> and only then, the angel said, Abraham, Abraham, now I, speaking for God, I know that your heart is mine. I, pr- I paraphrase that. But you know who really found out? Abraham. Abraham found out that he really trusted God. Is that not true? And a lot of times trials show us who we're trusting or what. Because if we bail out in a trial, you know where we run to tells us who our God is. That's why alcohol sells so much stuff is because it's easy to bail out at the end. And then we find out who our God is. Or anything for them. I'm not, it could be anything. Did you follow what I'm saying? It reveals who or what we trusted. And that's usually for our benefit. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. You think about David. Do you, where do you guys get strength when you're, when you're kind of down and, you know, the trials are coming and they're in waves? And you, just kind of, you know, it's amazing. You stand, and I'm not a water guy. You, you know that about me. I, don't, I like water right here. Actually, irrigation season today, I would go with right here at the ankle. I'm good. With, any water would be good today, right? And this is a mess, by the way, isn't it? It's a mess. Now, here's a, this, is, this is a good place for it. Is that a trial? 
Yes, it is. Absolutely is. And when you look at the drought monitor, I'm way off topic here. We're out in the weeds, but that's okay. We'll, you're going to pull me back in, right, Paul? Okay, very good. I got a rope right around this ankle. He'll pull me back if I get too far out there. But you look at the drought monitor. I have not in my lifetime seen anything this vast, this gigantic in size and scale, that we have this much of the United States this dry. I think the western cowherd is in dire straits. I think we could lose at least a half to two-thirds of the nationals, uh, the western United States cowherd, because there's not enough feed resources. There is not enough feed resources, even if it began raining right now. Okay? Now, we went to Habakkuk uh, two or three weeks ago. It doesn't matter what happens. Like Habakkuk said, I will trust in God. That's where we should be. That's really a trial, what it does. It doesn't matter what the trial is. I've chosen, I've already decided and committed to prove I will trust God. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Now, where was I going? I was still on the weeds. You pulled me in too fast. Um, now, we were still out in the desert. We were looking at the, at the drought monitor. What were we doing? We were doing something out there. Yeah, you pulled me in just a little too fast. Because it was, it was going to be... Uh... Okay, that's as far as we're going to go on that. Let's come back in on the... Excuse me? Yeah. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, okay, exactly. When, we, uh, when we've got uh, a lot of trials going on and the waves just keep coming at us. And right now, I'll tell you what, in the western United States with this drought, the waves keep coming. You know, the hay is down 30%. I've not, we've cut 2,500 acres. I have not cut a good field. It's amazing. And the waves keep coming. Now, what am I going to do about it? That's the question. Am I joyful? If I believe that God's in it, if I believe that God's going to make us stronger, if God's going to take me to another level spiritually, that's the deal. Right? Waves keep coming. And David, a lot of the Psalms, I go there a lot of times for in the middle of the night. That's a good place for me to be. I just want to, you know, and I think David actually wrote a lot of songs and played a lot of songs in the middle of the night because that's the time it's usually the darkest you know trials are darker in the night oh that was really profound there that was that was oh what a gift you are copernicus bring it on but but there's something about intensity of trials at night is that not true two o'clock in the morning that trial is a monster it's a monster in fact they say kids have monsters in the rooms no we all have monsters in the rooms the trials are huge and looming but I go to the Psalms because I know David went through some pretty tough stuff. He's got a father-in-law that's chasing him around to try to kill him. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Yes. No, I'm not kidding you. Wow. And he wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot of stuff when he was in a lot of trouble. But you know what the Psalms do not ever say? They don't ever say that God will take him out of trouble. But it does say he will take him through the trouble. Isn't that true? Now, we usually pray to take us out of a storm. God almost always in, encourages and... Oh, well, I lost the word. God always wants to take us through the storm because you know what happens is a part of that trial, we become more content and more fixed and focused and our dependence on him increases dramatically. I, I still, that, little, that picture which people that are hearing my voice on a uh, podcast can't hear me, but there's this lighthouse that this 
pict- this picture is, it has, and it, it's just in a raging, raging, foaming sea that has just wrapped itself around this. And that guy is standing there, and he is totally content and at peace. Why? Because he's dependent upon the structure that he's in, and he has great faith and confidence in it. Now, I'm to say this. That is a small, little, whimsical tower compared to God. The storms of life cannot touch you except to make you better when you're in God's hands. That should cause joy for us. To know that our God is not, not only does he have a plan. Now, there's some that would say God has a plan, but he's just withdrawn. That's what a deist is. They say God made it and they just step back and he's just letting things play out. Oh, a million times no. Oh, no, 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 no. He's involved in every second of your life. Every second of your life. I just looked this last week and people, there were just little steps and you think about how lives were touched because God took their journeys and intersected them at just the right time. And their lives were growing and encouraged and all of that. That's how he works. That's why we can be joyous when we fall into various trials and temptations. It makes us stronger. At the end, isn't that, if you, if you know whatever you're going through, if you know at the end you're better, I can get through it. Right? Because I'm depending on God. And the stronger it is, the harder it is. In fact, I, th- I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's Paul. Now, what do you do when you have a trial? That's pretty much what Paul did. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And for you, if you want to do some homework, uh, start at verse 1. Paul was actually given the opportunity in a vision to see what heaven was. I mean, wow, what a, what a joy, right? He was actually, it would be something to be proud of potentially because he saw what it was like. In verse 7 it says, Lest I, Paul, should be exalted above measure, in other words, lifted up through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, to becoming prideful of what I had seen. Now, again, I want to stop for just, this isn't really exactly where I want to be, but right in this, this fits again perfectly. Now, it looks like Satan is the one that's causing the adversity. It, 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 that seems right, messenger of Satan. That's where he came from. But you know what? Satan is, mark this carefully, Satan is not strong enough to be anything other than the servants of God. He cannot do anything that God does not allow him to do. Remember who gets chained up and locked up for a thousand years? Satan, just before the millennium starts. Now, he's a strong adversary. Don't get me wrong, and especially if you're not suited up, if you don't have that armor on that we talked about in the last number of weeks, he can bring a great deal of chaos to your life. But literally, now wait a minute, God used something from Satan to, are you ready to to keep his pride level down? Does that sound like a satanic attack? Uh, Satan would want more pride because you'd be further away from God. You'd become less dependent. Let's keep reading now. Verse 8. This thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, is that not what you do? Uh, you, get a, you, get a, you get a nasty somethingness and, God, I would just assume if you take that away right now, I'd be really good with that. In fact, uh, Paul did it three times. I don't know why he stopped at three. Uh, I would have maybe went seven or eight just to be sure God was, you know, on board. God, you know, I really... But he said at three, he said, no, I get it. Because something happened. 
This trial, this thorn in the flesh, in fact, it was responded to, these are Jesus' words, if you have a red letter. It said, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. That's called trials, a multitude of trials for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you know how to get strong when you're weak? You depend on God more. I will tell you how to make your trials smaller is just depend on God more. They'll have less effect on you. They can't, they can't do anything to you. When you see it through God's eyes, when you put it on the glasses and you see your trial through God's eyes, it's an amazingly small thing. It's an amazingly small thing. And Jesus certainly understood trouble. He wept. He groaned. He sorrowed. He even told his disciples that they would have tribulation just like he did. Let's go back to James. James. Now, as if one trial, one type of trial wasn't enough, James is careful to mention to us that there are various or divers in the King James. There's a diversity of trials. Just as you might conquer one, you might think, well, I've got that. No, it says that there are various. Verse 2, when you fall, how many of you can stop from falling? Once you're falling, falling into various temptations or trials. Doesn't that, that sounds good in already of itself, right? That's some of the worst dreams that you have is the ones that you fall for a, about an hour and a half, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the ones that, oh, let me just end it, right? No, and you fall and you fall and all of that, right? You guys don't, that doesn't happen to you guys? Oh, okay. okay let's keep moving. Yeah, let's keep moving. So how do we deal with trouble? How do we deal with trouble? We've talked about a joyous attitude. Counting it all joy. You're making a conscious commitment to joy. How you do that is process its implications. Look forward, seeing its benefits. Don't get stuck in the moment. Here's another thing, and I've mentioned this to you before in a different context, but uh, one of the things that those of you that have been through some serious trials, and, and you all have been in various ways and shapes, it is. It's amazing how various things can be in the sense of trials. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I know a good many of you in this place have used what you've learned through maturity in a trial to be able to do what we're going to find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all of our tribulation or trials, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comfort of God. There are those of you that have had cancer that are able to connect, resonate with someone that has just gotten it. You're able to, to be there. You can say, I know what that feels like. There's something about that that God uses to, again, get through that trial. You see, there's a part of that, that the trials in your life are actually being given to you to mature someone else. 
That's how God works. It's an integrated approach. Trials. Trials. Exactly right. In fact, um, I've used it. There have been three memorial services, and I've used that verse, those verses in two of those services. Because those that have lost someone know how to comfort someone that has just lost someone. Isn't that true? Mary Kay makes a great point. Is there like a cooler setting in that bad boy? It seems just smoking in here. <laughs> well, Larry, if you'd stop talking. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, that's it? You got it. It's maxed out. Very good. What's that? There we go. There we go. Okay, so um, I haven't even used the word today, the, the board today, have I? So the first way to endure trials is to have a to have a a joyful attitude. Thank you. I was hoping we wouldn't have to start all over. It's amazing, our, my, little, my little grandchildren, I'm not going to name any one, but the caps, the caps come off easily, but not on so easily. <laughs> and apparently, I, I have to, uh, Anson's aren't here today, but uh, at my birthday on June 10th, the girls wrapped up a little package of, you know it, markers. <laughs> so I'm going to dip into one of those. So... How to endure trials. Whoops. And number one is a joyful attitude. But that is not as easy to start that way. See, that's where we struggle. Because if that's if that's the only way you can get there, is it's just, oh I gotta be joyful about this. That's not gonna work out. Right? Oh, 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 goody, goody, I've got a trial. My motor blew up in my car and I'm broke. Goody, goody. (laughs) It didn't work either. (laughs) It's coming together now, isn't it? It's coming together. But there's something else that we know, and the fact is we not only have to have a joyful attitude, but we have to have an understanding mind. There are things that we need to know that keep us in the right frame of mind and the right attitude, if you will. Now, we've said it again, that testing, or that we know that testing produces endurance. It says that back in James chapter 1. That's something we need to know. If, if you know that this testing, this trial, is going to produce endurance, we need to know that. And we need to know that God is working in your life. He is... He's, he's producing and accomplishing good for you. Again, in Paul, just let's not go back there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, he didn't take that trial away, did he? He didn't take away that messenger of Satan. He continued, In fact, I, I'm, a, I'm convinced that it was with Paul for the rest of his life. Some have thought that it was a vision problem, that he wasn't able to see clearly. I don't know. I just know this, that that thorn in the flesh... And I just think of that, right? Doesn't that just bug you? Like, the worst thing for me is like a thorn in my foot. 
It can be so small I can't see it. In fact, oftentimes, it, and it just bugs you, right? It just won't go away, and it's not dreadful, and your foot's not going to fall off, but it's like, oh, right? It just wears you up. Oftentimes, trials are that way. Oftentimes, the ones that go on and on and on and on and on, it's not the ones that last for like six hours. You got, who knows, some massive, big, fat problem, and in six hours, it's gone. It's like, oh, okay, I'm okay with that. But when they go on week after week after week after week, and it's like, oh, I can't take anymore. Right? Now there's heads nodding, right? That's exactly right. That thorn in the flesh, it wasn't taken away. It was taken through it. Now here's another one that we've maybe mentioned in another way, but we need to know this. That God has a plan. He's immutable. That means he's not going to change. He doesn't have to change because he knows what's best all the time. That's what I love about uh, the Muslim community is they say that Allah can change. He can abrogate. Well, does that mean he doesn't know what he's doing? He's not getting it right. He's got to figure out how to get it right. No, my God knows everything all of the time. And he's strong enough. He's omnipotent. He's powerful enough to see it happen. He has a plan. He doesn't change. And he has the power to enact it. I feel really confident in that. I need to know that. I need to understand that. Because when I understand that, guess what? The joyful attitude starts to come out. See, James has kind of got some of the things a little bit twisted. You've got to start at the bottom of James and work to the top. That's why it's so hard for us to say, uh, Brother, kind of all joy when you call into various tempta- trials. Oh, really? But if you don't know these things that we're talking about that God has revealed for us, joy isn't a possibility. But if we know them, it sets it up. It sets it up. The other thing is, we've said it, let's go to a verse that proves it. God will not put you in a position that it's more than you can handle with His grace. A verse that may be familiar to many of you, but let's go there. If you're not, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here it's talking about temptation. Temptations, they come to drag you down. Trials are actually used to strengthen you. Did you, see, did you, did you hear that difference? Uh, God uses a trial to strengthen you. A temptation is literally something to destroy you, to take you away. Now, if you, if you say if you resist the temptation, then it actually does strengthen you. But a trial lit in and of itself is literally meant to bolster, to encourage, to lift you up, to strengthen you. But let's watch this now. Verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Remember what Abraham said? He was trudging up that mountain. He said, God will provide. Even in a temptation, when there's something that comes your way, and the ones that I've failed, I've flunked the temptation test, it's amazing how I can turn around and say, that was my out. God gave me an out route, and I missed it. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. That's right. We didn't want to look for it. And if we, if we were, we weren't looking very hard. It's amazing, isn't it? The power of temptation and the lust. The power of lust is amazing. And I'm not just talking sexuality. I'm talking about even the lust for power, for prestige, for money, all of those things. It's amazing how strong that is within the human. What did we call it last week? The unsaved humanness. 
the flesh. Right? Isn't that very true? It's absolutely true. And to think that with that temptation, whatever it is, whatever your weakness is, that there's something that God gives you as an out route. It's up to us to take it. He never gives us more than we can handle with his grace. Have you ever been uh, on the ocean or I guess even on a, a lake or something? And here's this little piece of wood, and it's just floating. It's just like we call it driftwood, right? In fact, sometimes you maybe pick that up and use it as an artifact or whatever, and it's, it's got some sort of character, right, or whatever. Um, does anyone do that stuff? Ah, don't raise your hand. And it, at any rate, but, you know, sometimes we think we're like a piece of driftwood, right, just floating along. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, God has you fully in his eyesight, fully in control, fully planned, fully journeyed, if you will, you're not just a piece of driftwood. You're not just... And see, that's what a non-Christian has to believe. If they don't have a God, they don't have a hope, they literally are just drifting through life. Isn't that... That's horrible. That's just horrible. It's good to know that God cares and loves and wants you to be everything that he wants you to be. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at Moses. You guys remember Moses? Interesting story how God preserved Moses from the Israelite family. It wasn't popular to have male children then. In fact, it was a good way to die. And Moses' mother had this brilliant plan. And she takes baby Moses puts him in a basket and puts him out in the reeds and lo and behold who would find baby Moses but Pharaoh's daughter oh this doesn't look good does it but God was in charge think of how God was in charge of Moses' life and here comes Moses' sister oh oh dear what did you find there oh a baby well, do you think I should go get one of the Israelite women to maybe take care of that child for you? I thought that would be a good idea. Mom, Mom, you won't believe it. Mom, you won't believe it. They found Moses. Oh, no. Oh, no, Mom, it's good. I got you to be Moses's mommy. <laughs> it's that. And then they say there's no God. But now what would you do if you're Moses and you grow up in the household of Pharaoh? Remember what we said about the Moabites? Too much ease, too much problems. Moses had decisions to make. He had decisions to make. He found out who he was. What would he do? Would have not been in his best interest if he would be into the world, into the world system, to avoid trials, just kind of grow up in Pharaoh's home. And he was, by the way, let me tell you, Moses was one sharp dude. He could speak, even though later he said he couldn't. He was skilled. Watch what the Hebrews says about him, because this requires faith to leave some things behind, just like Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, let's start at verse 24. By faith, Moses, this is faith, described for us, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which would have made him the, Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, choosing, verse 25, rather to suffer affliction, that's called a trial, with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know, it's amazing. The reward is, you, is always out in front, isn't it? The reward doesn't happen now. It's always out in front. Even think of, I was thinking of Jacob now. He worked for seven years for, which we thought was Rachel, but he got Leah. Then it was another seven years for Rachel. But there's work, then the reward. Right now, the, the choices that you make, particularly around trials, it makes even the reward, heaven, even more beautiful, more rewarding, and more enriching. The reward comes later. This is very much with Moses. Think of what he went through to be esteemed with the Israelites. It would have been a lot easier to just stay in Pharaoh's household. Everything would have been his way. Tough decisions, but the right decisions. Let's look at one more, and we won't complete it, but let's go to not only does it take a joyful attitude, an understanding mind. What else would you say? It takes a submissive will. A submissive will. We've already used Jesus Christ as an example of that. Let's go to Psalm chapter 37. Oh, before you do that, where are you? Oh, you're in Hebrews. Um, just a second. Go back to James, if, and you're not too far if you're in Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Just go to James chapter 1, just a few pages over. Let's read that, verses 2, 3, and 4 one more time. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various trials, knowing this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience or endurance. But let patience have her perfect work. Let. That word is to be submissive. It's not going to be trouble-free, but let's go to Psalm now, chapter, chapter 37 of Psalm, and let's look at several verses on David prescribing for us Submitting. Uh, chapter 37, verse 1. Sometimes we need to... Was uh, One of the things that really take you off when you see evildoers having a great time and it just seems like they can do no wrong, they just do what they want and it goes on and on and nothing happens and you're like, really? You guys see some heads nodding. No one wants to get involved too much, but it's very true, isn't it? Look at verse 1 of chapter 37. This is for us. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 3, here's the reason, trust in the Lord. Verse 3 is trusting in the Lord. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. And then verse 7, then you can rest. Isn't that true? Trust, delight, commit, and then you can rest. That's, that's, that's probably as good of sermon right there that I can think of. Now, there's something that maturity does. I'm sorry. Yeah, ma- mat- uh, I'm sorry. I did it, said it wrong. I knew I'd say it wrong. Uh, the trying of your faith worketh. The trying of your faith worketh. The trying of your faith worketh. There we go. Yes, thank you. Uh, the trying of your faith worketh endurance, and endurance worketh. Endurance worketh. And in. What'd you say? No. Endurance worketh. Endurance worketh. I'm getting tired. Endurance. 
Okay, 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 stop. I'm going to start all over. Let's start. No, I'm not going to start all over because you guys will leave. Okay, if you're learning to endure, and endurance, let me help you because we're getting the same word. Endurance and patience are the same, okay? Make them the same. Okay, <laughs> I was hearing a lot of, I was, no, 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 no. Okay, patience and endurance. I'm calling it endurance because I like it. I like that word better. I just like that word better. Okay, but if we're learning to endure, and how do we, how do we get endurance to increase? By, by trials. Trials worketh endurance. Okay, that's okay. If you want to be a patience person, that's okay. Okay, endurance. And then... Endurance working produces maturity. Ah, that's what we're looking for. And you know what? If you know that you can be more mature, it's amazing how more, much more important endurance is. And if we know that we're gaining endurance, it's amazing how much we can look at trials with a joyful attitude. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a forward-thinking thing. Maturity. Well, I'm completely wore out. It took you guys a long time. To... <laughs> now, those of you that are listening to me on, on a broadcast cannot see what I was doing, but I was really kind of athletically, not very athletic, but trying to get them to bring me along. I was trying to use encouragement to coax it out. We weren't getting anywhere, but now we have it. Oh, yeah. until I pass out. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. So what are we going to say? Let's take that now. And you know what? Here, here it is. You cannot mature without trials. It takes trials to produce endurance. Endurance produces maturity. So therefore, we cannot have maturity without trials. That's why, let's think for a moment as you're growing, raising a child. Well, let's see. What would be the best for Johnny? Let's spoil him. Let's give him everything he could possibly want. Let's not spank him. Let's, let's not... What's the word I hear today? Um, excuse me? Yeah, let's not break his will. Oh, there's one... Yeah, there's something. Oh, let's... Let, I'm just about there. Let's not, let's not take Billy's self-esteem down. Now, I've heard it said, Billy should take his self-esteem and go home and study. You know, that was how it was. A teacher gave him an F, and the, and, the, and, the, and the parent was just infuriated. How could you give my son an F? You've heard of his self-esteem. The teacher said, Billy should take his self-esteem and go home and study. Okay, wait, did I get out in the weeds there again, right? What is he even talking about? Oh, there we go. Okay, okay, I'm right there. So, so let's give Billy anything he wants all the time, all day long, all the... Got it? You know what's going to happen that I guarantee you will not happen to Billy? He will not mature. You know why the Moabites were such bad people? Because it was a life of ease. You know what's happening in the United States of America? Now, we're about to hit some hard times. We're going to hit some walls. We are taking our decisions now. The consequences of our leadership and our decisions nationally, individually, we are about to hit a wall. That's what reality is. They may not believe in truth, but I'm going to tell you something. Truth is reality, and this reality is going to hit us between the eyes. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. But here we go. As us as Christians, that's why we can have... I'm trying this joyous attitude on you. And I'm seeing a little bit of smiling, but not enough. You want a joyful attitude. You think about the fact that 
Endurance happens through trials. Maturity comes through endurance. Therefore, to be mature, you must have trials. Doesn't that make sense? And that's very biblical. In fact, Paul would say, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice always. Right? So we should rejoice before, in the middle, and after. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That's right. Boy, this you, are, you have a mind of a steel trap. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. This is good stuff. Let's keep going. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to, do, 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 to James for a moment. James chapter 1. Let's continue to read the first three verses. That's as far as we'll get today, which is great. Uh, My brother, in verse 2, speaking to Christians, count it. In other words, commit beforehand all joy. And you're making this a decision, a commitment, that when you fall into various trials, so you've already committed yourself to being in joy because you know this, verse 3, that the trying, the testing of your faith worketh endurance. As you're getting those trials, it actually literally grows endurance But let, in other words, submit to the endurance having her perfect work, that is, her maturity, that you may be that perfect, mature, and entire, wanting or needing nothing. In other words, you're whole. All of that leads to the sense of completeness because it makes you look more like Christ. Every single trial of which you are counting in joy, being submissive to God's will, And knowing what's behind it, you literally are looking just a little bit more like Christ. In fact, hold your place here. Let's go to 1 Peter. It would be to the right. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. As Peter is closing out this first epistle, he says this. It fits perfectly in what we're talking about right now. But the God of all grace. Oh, that's exactly right. God giving us what we need, what we, he will provide everything we need, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, had a few trials, will make you perfect, that is mature, established, that's firm, strengthened, and settled. That's exactly what happens to you when trials come your way. I'm going to leave you with two passages of scripture in Philippians, written by Mr. Joy. And that is Paul, Mr. Joy. Philippians chapter 4, let's start there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. You should write these down. These are ones that you should uh, maybe commit them to memory or at least know where they're at in your scriptures because it's incredibly important. The sense of contentment and pressing on. These are things that you need to have understanding of as you are in a trial. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, now starting in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And then the last one, this is one that I want to daily have in my mind. This is the one that keeps me pressing on. This is the one that keeps me going. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 13. Verse 13. This is part of the sanctification process. Brethren, again, he's writing to Christians, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't made it. I'm not there. But this one thing I do. 
forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When we do that, trials literally can be approached with a joyous attitude. We need to understand clearly the things that God is doing and accomplishing. And we, when we submit our will to His, which, by the way, pray without ceasing. You want to have, if you're in a trial, the best thing you can do is don't ever stop praying because your will will be aligned with God's and the joyful attitude will be yours. Now, just to sum, sum up. Okay, I'm not going to do this for very long. <laughs> Trials produce endurance. Thank you. And endurance produces maturity. I was too easy. I should almost do it, but I won't. I won't. You'll probably never forget that, will you? <laughs> Not till next week. Okay. All right. Questions or comments? These are... Yes, go ahead. Um, there is a verse that says, Our trials are... Um, I'm going to just look real quickly, um, but I can look it up for next week. I think it's in... Uh, it comes to mind... I think I, this may be it, may not be it. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. There's another one I'm thinking of in Romans chapter 5. We'll maybe check that one out. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I mean, just, just think of that. All His divine power has given us these things through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, Literally, partakers of God's goodness, His His righteousness, all of those things, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now watch. Verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Was that the one? It was not the one. Okay, very good. Then let's go to Romans chapter 5, and this might be the one. But it is good, isn't it? That's exactly it. Just think of all of those things that God has given. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, and let's try this one. This might be the one. Romans chapter 5. And I'd like to start in verse 1, even though it'll be verse 3, where we find what Mary Kay is asking about. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Romans. This is a fantastic... Did I tell you to read Romans chapter 5 last week? Yes, it is chapter 5. That's probably why you thought of it, right? How many of you did the Romans chapter 5 thing last week? Almost. Okay, it looks like there's not hardly any hands in the air, which means that's another homework assignment for this coming week, is read Romans chapter 5 every single day. 
it will change your world. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse is fantastic. By whom, Jesus Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations or trials also, knowing that tribulation or trial worketh patience. Does this sound like something we talked about today? And patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Did you catch that? All of those steps literally are the reason that God sheds His love abroad in us, and we can affect the world in a way that no one else can, because we have done exactly the right way, and trials are at the beginning of it. If you're praying for no trials, you're praying for God not to mature you. You are praying for God not to teach you endurance. You are literally praying that God would not make you everything that he wants you to be. Now that should put it on a different edge. Okay, that was really good. Anything? Yes. If you're going through a trial and you talk about endurance, even though you know God's there with you, does it mean that you might have a little smidgen of panic if you call another Christian and ask them to, to pray or be with you or during that trial? Okay, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. Maybe some of you could, couldn't hear that. So what was asked was when we're going through a trial and we feel that God is with us, he's, he's right there with us, does it look like we're lacking in faith? I, 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 that, that, that's Okay, you're okay with that. Lacking in faith if we reach out to another brother or sister in Christ to ask them to pray for us. No! In fact, if anything, that has strengthened your faith position because you care enough to get someone else involved that loves Jesus to help you make you both stronger. Absolutely. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And that's why many times I'll talk, I'll, I don't know, and it's amazing how God will bring, I do this to Alice as she comes in, in the house sometimes for, for Lisa. I'll say, you need to pray for this. Now, you know what it does to Alice and the prayer group that she works with? It builds them up because there's strength because they're able to reach out. No, if anything, that makes the Christian community stronger. And plus, guess what? This is, now this is key. It just came to me. This is really key. What Satan has probably the best time with is when he can isolate you in the trial. Now, again, I want to be careful. I don't really care where the trial comes from. You've hopefully got that from me today. I, you, is it a spiritual attack? It could be. Is it a sin? It could be. It could be because of a sin, the consequences of. Or it could be God just as he's, he's going to glorify himself. You know what? That part doesn't even matter to me really ultimately because I know this. God will not allow more than we can handle to make us better. But Satan would want us to do it alone or in isolation, particularly if it's a sin of consequences thereof, because he does not want us to get back in fellowship with God. And the further isolated you are from the Christian community or from God, the more likely you are to continue in that state of unproductive Christianity. That's why when you reach that, that situation, you just said, this is so good. That example that you said actually literally is the key to breaking out and letting the Christian community surround you. Correct? Great question. 
Okay. My kids think when I'm sitting in my recliner with my eyes closed that I'm sleeping, but I'm actually praying. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's, and, and by the way, there is, I'll tell you what, a praying grandmother is amazing. I speak for my mother, too. She was, what a prayer warrior, right? What a prayer warrior. Now, here's another thing, forward thinking. Thinking about the loss of, of my mother, you know, there's grief in that. There's loss in that. There's a trial in some sense of that, all of that stuff, right? But you know what? Forward thinking lets me, because of what we understand... That Jesus Christ died for my mother's sins. That's right. And she's in heaven. And I'm going to be there. Or I'm sorry, she's going to be there when I meet her. That should literally, in, in, and again, in the sense of a trial, you see how joy can come? But this is, this is why it's a little bit harder for, for, this is why we're taking time going through this. James kind of asks us to just get in there because he wrote the letter. You don't start with joy. You get there by understanding what's true. You submit your will, and there's two more left. That literally joy, you can't help not being joyful if you are in that frame of mind. Okay? Anything else? I've heard that the saying a lot, which is what is something that's up to you. If God leads you to it, he'll lead you to it. That's right. I mean, that's what they, you know, like, think that. God will always give you the grace to get you through what he's led you to. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if Abraham, he's going up the mountain. God, does it look like I have this much faith? <laughs> All right, good stuff. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for you being God. Thank you for caring enough for us to actually literally bring trials into our life and allowing them. Father, oftentimes we spend more time trying to figure out how they came or who they came, who brought them or why. Those things are not appropriate or pertinent. How can we become more enduring? How can we become more mature? Well, Father, it's really, quite honestly, as we endure these trials, we do it with a joyful attitude. We are careful to understand and know a number of things that you have declared in your word, and then to be submissive to that. Father, as we come next week, we'll look at a couple more that literally will allow us to more clearly see how to endure a trial because it literally makes everything that you desire in us to be made wholesome. We look just a little bit more like Jesus. Each trial, as you chip away some of those things that are impurities, pridefulness, whatever it might be, literally there's just a little more resemblance of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, uh, moment by moment, step by step. Thanks for not being in a hurry. Thank you, Father, for being just right on time all the time. Thank you for eternity, which has been secured by Jesus Christ. Father, take this group today as they will be on their individual journeys through this week in various ways, probably many, many miles from here, ultimately throughout the week. And we would ask that you provide protection and safety. And Father, may you build them. May you build their character. May you allow them, Father, to integrate within people that they are destined to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Empower them with the power that comes from you. May the Holy Spirit that indwells them that have trusted Christ even be more powerful as they soak in the word. Father, we just rest in you knowing that there's no safer place for us to be than right at your feet, humbly bowing and submitting to your plan for our lives. 
We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.